0: Telemetry recovered. Let's drone out.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Drone Out. We have what numbers this?
0: It's than there have been BMFA magazines,
1: <laughs> which is worry. How many years have they been going? by a hundred. Since the dawn of time. Uh, right, tonight we are joined by Andrew Slash Frank. Good evening, Andy RC. Hello, my little Tony. Hello. <laughs> Our guest for tonight, Zoe FPV. Hey, everybody. And I'm Jack. Brighton until I fly, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out.
2: Dun dun dun.
1: So apparently tonight we're going to talk about X class.
2: Dun dun dun. If, if Tony <laughs> can stay
1: connected long I'm enough. I'm back. <laughs> Never leave me
2: The X-Class to... pilot to talk about X-Class Yeah I'm here kind of. So the last time I was here you had just been getting into it and now you've flown your own uh, rig I think in a race, right?
3: Not in a proper race yet There, I... there it is, beyond no, a me demo.
2: Still, I've You've done that... got you've it up in the air
3: Yeah, we've done a demo at um... uh, Tony got it up done a a demo at a mini air show um which is pretty cool a couple of months ago um but since then we've changed quite a few things we were flying 6s and it was just not working for us it was too slow and i was i was i was was on full throttle pretty much all the time
2: yeah but the 400 kv motors you need 8s on them to get any kind of real speed um the the funny thing with those 400 kv motors is that the whole concept of them is that you can't blow them up like you can you can try but they're one of the most bulletproof motors out there that I've tested yeah. um, but that also means they're not as fast as a lot of the other bigger motors out there um, but there, there's definitely been a risk once you start going up in size with the current ESCs that we have you're going to start seeing more fires <laughs> <laughs> So, like, it's really, it's really hard to find a good balance between like speed and um, not catching fire.
3: <laughs> we have not got anything, got anything more yet. yet.
2: That's good. That's good. Bit, bit but it so Z- should way. be.
1: Bit Ooh, of a Tony the echo there.
4: Why is it echoing?
1: Who's not Who's wearing not? it? Zoe. My
2: shit shouldn't be echoing. Ah.
1: Uh oh, it's it's okay.
3: I've turned myself down, is that better?
1: It weren't you, I think it was though
3: everyone just assumes it's Tony when there's
4: a clock. Oh,
1: like his... No.
3: <laughs>
1: Tony hasn't got the bandwidth to mess it up today. So he couldn't get on his phone.
3: No, it's on my phone now, it's working. And um, yeah, so we we um have, we haven't basically haven't got anything hot yet, but we have maxed out The track that you guys flew, Um, the car track, we mapped that out um, with flags, and we were two seconds off the pace. But that was with um, dual blades, and we've got the new um, tri-blades that
2: you guys run now. So we've yet to test it again now, so we're hoping. Yeah, those tri-blades have quickly become the de facto standard right now. Like, I see everyone using them. Um, Even DR1's, like, secret teams I've seen little photos and snippets of are using them. Um, And they make a big difference. Like, that whole prop was originally designed to have uh, a load in the air and at speed. So Mm -hmm. it's meant to have not a static load on it, but like an active load as it's up in the air. Like a lot of people think props, like you just put them on a uh, thrust stand and you get your data. That doesn't tell you like half the story. It tells you a good deal of static pressure tests, but it doesn't tell you how the props can perform in the air when it's unloaded and it's at speed and it has airflow already going over it. Yeah. And realistically, that doesn't really matter until you get past 70 miles an hour. Like, once you start getting past that point, that's when the aerodynamics really come into play. Um, and especially once you get past, like, the 120 mark. <laughs> I'd <laughs> like to like, do that. You you could very well get there with 8-cell on the 400 um, kV motors with the master air screw 12 by, sorry, 13 by, no, wait, 13 by 12s? Yeah. Yes, thirteen by twelve by eights. Um, they will do close to a hundred and forty. Um, at least it should in theory, because like the eight cell definitely helps out when you go that route. Uh, the thing you're gonna definitely have to watch for is that the prop is really heavy for that motor. Mm-hmm. So like the acceleration time is gonna be a little bit more. So if you try to like blip the throttle a lot, you're gonna really start heating up the motor, and that's gonna cause like, you'll start warming stuff up soon. <laughs> we need to warm up. So we need to warm need stuff, to warm stuff up. up. But we're using we the
3: North Aero motors at the moment. Okay. So there are starting the KV. KV? I, can't, I can't remember what KV they are. Um, we need to warm stuff up. Stuff up but What's going on with this chat today? Echoing everywhere. I can't remember. Um, is Martin in the chat? No, I can find out for you. But I cannot remember what KV are, they are, but...
1: Why don't you just go over there and have a look? Because
3: that's, <laughs> that, that's, not, that's it. not it. The rig is at his.
1: Uh, what's with the Echo, people? Don't know. Is that you, though?
2: Is it me? I don't know. It could be a combination thereof, but, like, I've done podcasts before with this audio setup and I haven't had any issues.
4: It's intermittent, which is weird, isn't it? It's coming in and out.
0: Frank... I've been muted, so weren't me. <laughs>
1: Any ideas? Well, I'm happens? gonna
3: mute myself. everyone mute themselves when they don't talk.
4: We need to pay attention to the, the green thing.
0: Yeah.
3: Going
4: up and down and and see what's causing
3: it. I'll keep an eye out. Next time we hear something, then we can...
0: Dun dun,
2: dun. <laughs>
3: But we've got we've got to put a pod on ours, haven't we? Because apparently there's a pod now you've got to run.
2: Th- this, is, this is the controversy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so part of the controversy. Um, so let me, like, back up to the pod thing a little bit and, like, rewind time just a little bit back to when it was originally brought into uh, existence. And for those that don't know the pod thing... <laughs> um, x is at one point in time, and I say this at one point in time, instituted a rule for you to have a canopy with a five by eight surface area on it. And it was originally intended so you could put advertisement space on the side of your machine to attract sponsors. Like there was a whole theory behind it and there's a really big reason for it. Um, And I had spent originally back in season four, I came out with my original canopy, which was basically a thong. It covered just the basic part of the aircraft, but it met the current, which is now the current uh, 5 by 8 canopy standard. But at the time I was told it was too small, so I made something bigger. Boy, well, is that yeah, my down? Hmm? What's that my
3: oh,
2: Uh This is TPU. So it's, like, flexible. It's actually really cool. This canopy has survived three crashes so far. Um, So it's... It took 100 hours to print. (laughs) Wow. I want to say thank you, Old Gravy League, for spending the time to print this out. But uh, it's still holding up to all the abuse that I put it through, which is pretty cool. Um, And I hand-sculpted this in virtual reality using a pair of Oculus uh, touch controllers and a headset. So this was, like, handmade in a weird way. Um, So, yeah, I spent a lot of time on the canopy design. And the canopy was basically made a requirement for the track races. And this is also because the track owners at the time said they needed to look bigger. They wanted them to appear bigger. And one of the okay. ways you do that is by making a canopy. Um, and so X Class then spent time, like X Class and me in the core group, there was like a good five or six of them that spent several weekends over a couple months developing out the current X Class standard canopy. Um, although I've heard there's issues with that one because one, it's flat like a car body. So when you're up in the air, <laughs> It's actually pushing against you and it mm. makes the machines really slow. Yeah. Um, but the other bigger issue is, is that they, they made it with traditional design materials and this is just history. This is just stuff that I want to get out there in the world because I think it's neat and interesting and no one's heard it before. Um, they spent, they want the traditional route, So they had Katrina knows um, why sculpt a body for the canopy so she made a te- basically a mold for it. Um, they poured silicone over it and made a silicone master and then made a proper mold from that. Um, and then they did a traditional uh, Lexan casting uh, using a body and whatnot to make their canopy. Um, it It looks interesting. <laughs> I mean, it definitely has some sexy lines to it, but for a drone canopy, it's... Not as optimized as it could be, and one of the bigger issues is that the the mold technique um, it's delicate. Like you end up breaking the uh, the masters a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, they spent a lot of time to have those canopies for machines, so that there could be um, pilots that could go out in the field with those canopies and use them, and use them for with the X class machines. Um, if they needed a machine, um, so everything was good and dandy up until the first uh, track race when Colby he and a few other pilots showed up. Ostrich Air too. I'm just if I'm gonna name names, I'm gonna name names. Um, but a couple of the bigger teams showed up without canopies when it was a required rule, and each team was made very well aware that they needed to have a canopy. So almost on the spot, they changed the rule and said, okay, we get away with it for the first race, but the next race, Canopy. And then somewhere between race one and two, they made it so the body of the aircraft at any point in time, if it's five by eight inches, meets the rule, which... Is mm. stupid because they're 800 by 800 millimeters. You could argue that that's the body of the aircraft. Yeah. And that meets the spec. So it's almost like they threw, and this is by they, I mean Noah, the CEO of X Class, threw out the canopy ruling and through essentially threw out hundreds and hundreds of hours of work that I put into it, not once, but twice. So I was a little peeved, to say the least. <laughs> I was a little... Especially because there were a lot of pilots that did put in the time to make the canopy. Yeah, I've i mean seen, Shane and stuff. Yeah, dude, that thing was so cool. Shane actually took the time to put that together. You've had, And he almost made a DeLorean, like a flying DeLorean. I was like, that would have been too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, no. <laughs> and then it just goes back in time. Um, And the funny thing is we go up to those speeds routinely. Um, But yeah, so like he spent time on it. John Gazer, he spent time on his canopy and, you know, several other pilots, like the X-Class crew, like all the pilots that were fielded had canopies. I had my canopy. Um, And that's really where my... um, I guess, like, issue came from because it wasn't just me that was slided in some ways; it was other people. And then, on top of that, I even have um, a judge, quote unquote, confirming that they had given pilots passes not just for the first race, but for the second race and previous races.
1: Hang so on. there's Tony sorting out his sound for, for the moment. It, it was him, the echo. As <laughs> I
2: was gonna he... say, my setup is have always Have you got gonna...
1: a cameraman? No,
2: so this is a robot. It it tries to track my face. I don't
4: think we can hear Tony at all now. Can I just say I can see his lips moving, but nothing, no sound.
2: (laughs) he's saying X class is stupid and it's big. and the sign language, language, Tony. (laughs) <laughs> Don't
0: really want to know Tony's sign language. To be
2: honest, <laughs> he's like, give a thumbs down on this video, please. <laughs> <sighs> but seriously, take a moment to like and subscribe to Let's Drone Out because these guys are awesome. And uh, oh, uh, there's
1: so many like Patreons in the chat. It's amazing.
0: Thunderflukes in the in the chat has been asking uh, about where to get a frame in the uk um just been saying that because tony's been getting his frames through fossil stuff so they're developing that at the moment um but uh fossils do like to tinker a lot so i think the best thing is to just message them and be like stop tinkering start selling (laughs) Um, my recommendation Uh, Yeah,
2: seriously, there's the only place that's selling X-Class frames, Dysonian.com. And we've been waiting for someone else to sell something just so we have competition on the market. Um, It's like, it's one thing to be alone standing in the field, but to have other people with you standing in the same field, you know, with the same vision. I think Glenn's credence to the idea, and I think there's more than one way to build these things, and I'd really like to see more variation in the designs that are out there and what people can get their hands on.
0: also got um, Falling With Styles, so that's Luke, I'm pretty sure, um, who's building his own at the moment, and he's getting a oh, custom top and bottom plate built. <laughs> um, he was asking, do you have any recommendations of the sweet spot for X-Class sizes? I'm pretty sure i've seen a lot of people have been going on the 800 side
2: um, yeah so the 800 millimeter is is actually there's history behind why it's not 1000 millimeter and why it's 800 to 1200 so at the first x-class race i showed up with an 800 millimeter rig and um kevin sellers had a 1200 millimeter rig and we were like well that's, that's about a thousand if you combine the two and that's kind of an open range for people to kind of innovate and build different types of machines. And so far we've seen that. Um, although there definitely has been a trend towards small. So a lot of people are building out the 800 millimeter spec frames and again, and it's also why it goes back to the canopy. They're going as small as possible. Um, and when you add a canopy, you add drag. So competing against people that don't have canopies is mm. kind of no.
1: do, you, do you know what I would do is
2: take um, off my canopy. You know, <laughs> if, if
1: people don't show up with a canopy, you know, like biplanes with the flag with writing on the back of it, you should. Uh, they should. You, yeah, you should have them and give them to people that don't have canopies. As its drag, and it'll be like, I'm a moron. I can't read the rules.
2: Well, I kind of want to have... So with these X-Class races, um, for the track races, for people that don't know, is completely different than any kind of drone race you've ever been to because it's exactly like an old-school automotive track race. So the car divisions, they have different divisions of cars that come out onto the track, and uh, as one car division comes on and does their 20-lap race or whatever they drive off the track and then the next division comes in and does their race. Well, X-Class has their own division within that. So we come out and do our own race and then cars come out and do their own race. So we are actually running the same basic kind of rules. The cars are running, we're running the same track and we have the same audience and we're incorporated into the same racing structure of their typical race nights. So it's open track racing. It's much more head to head. And I will say there's something for head to head racing when you have four people grouped up and they're trying to fight for position like that is really intense, especially when you have these giant machines traveling at a hundred miles an hour and they're really pushing the limit. I mean, at every race we've had multiple crashes and it's been kind of a spectacle. Um, and that's without having obstacles. We've had crashes just by pilots pushing the limits of their machines to get around the track as fast as possible to compete. And that's kind of cool in its own way. Um, and changes the dynamics of drone racing. During the whole time, you can look anywhere and know exactly where every machine is on the track as mm-hmm. a spectator. And that's something that's really missing with drone racing, at least traditionally. Um, <laughs> Is your canopy helping or hindering you, do you think, at the moment? Uh, so it's a bit of both. So in the straightaways, I think it hinders me a little bit because it adds to that drag. Um, in the turns, I actually think it does help me a bit. I've noticed from in reviewing the footage, I'm able to take the turns tighter than anybody else. And part of that, I believe, is due to the fact that the canopy design actually does work. Like, as I go into the turn, I push this thing sideways and I angle it in a way where it actually pushes the craft down and into the turn and actually reduces the amount. I have black box logs on this that reduces the amount that the craft has to yaw. So instead of yawing, the machine's relying on this to hold the position of the yaw, and the machine lets up off the motors for the yaw and actually allows them to go a little bit more throttle and gives you more top end. Um, So in the turns, great. Coming out of the turns, going the straightways, it definitely adds a bit of drag to that and definitely hinders me from passing and doing passing maneuvers. Mm. Um, so it's... I mean, it's the most minimalistic way I could do it. <laughs> I mean, going straight on, yeah. this does not add too much, but it definitely still adds more than any other machine currently out there. Um, and that... Uh, it bothers me (laughs) it more or less bothers me well not any other machine out there i should say any other machine that has a complete custom canopy like shane's canopy is more or less off the shelf the x-class canopy for those pilots is off the shelf um this one is bigger than it needs to be which is sad because at the beginning of the season i was told this needs to be bigger so midway through the season i'm told it could be smaller and now i'm like meh (laughs) meh So a lot of a lot of the the facts that they haven't had the rules completely in place, haven't been enforcing the rules completely yet. For the sake of the show and the fact that's so young and they're still fleshing everything out, I sort of understand that. But at the same time, I'm a freaking competitor and I love to compete. And since my first drone race, all I've wanted was a fair racing competition going forward. So it'd be fun to compete in, mm. but. You know, the history has shown that drone racing has been a bit of a boondoggle at times and it's been hard to get it running smoothly and enjoyable enough for the pilots and the spectators alike. Um, But I still hold that hope because uh, I believe the format for Giant Drone Racing will evolve. The format for Mini Quad Racing is evolving. I've noticed that there's a general trend towards team racing now, which is really cool to see. Um, I believe team racing is going to really kind of push the drama and the interaction aspect of racing forward. Now you pair that with giant drones and then you pair that with uh, pit crews and the ability for these machines to pit. So you have the action continuously happening and not just happening for two minutes at a time. Then you have a real sport. But until we get to that point, everything, in my opinion, is just for show. And, um, I need to chill out because yeah, it's, I, I take it, I take it really seriously at times. That sounds
4: really interesting. The the pit thing. So you land, swap battery, go again. That, I mean, that, that could really switch things up. You know, I like that idea. I missed that from formula one, actually, even, you know, they do the whole race now on one thing
2: um you know the biggest biggest detriment to mini quad or uh, drone racing in general has been the fact that they took the basic idea from the first race the obstacle course and they're like this is a drone race and since then they have expanded on that idea but they have not allowed it to they've not let it evolve past that and so we've been kind of selling what i call drone racing version 0.1 <laughs> yeah <'cause laughs>
4: and, the races last like, yeah, like two minutes is that right yeah
2: and, and if you're you're lucky if if the downtime between races is two minutes i mean on a good multi-gp race you're lucky if that gets down to about two minutes and most pilots are happy if the downtime is less than two minutes
4: yeah um, but then you see you know we, we had uh, we had western park this year and uh it's a funny event because it runs it's an FPV event that runs alongside a huge line of sight uh, large model show you know like so uh like massive you know 20 foot wingspan RC line of sight stuff and there was probably probably 10 to 15,000 people watching the the big scale aircraft and then the FPV side was just one bloke in a foldable chair <laughs> and it was and it was so sad and I, I was i said to andy you know how how this needs changing surely uh, there's, I,
2: there's, there's a weird thing so if you go to south korea there there's been crowds at a lot of drone races like south korean audience eats it up it is because, like, they've they've eaten up uh, pro gaming and esports, and that's become yeah. a big thing over there. And yeah. for them, drone racing is almost a natural extension of that, and it's kind of allowed it to grow. In America, esports is only now starting to kind of get its traction, and that's really even hard to say because it's... I mean, it's big, but it's not as big as it could be. Um, and it's starting to overpass some real sports and it's starting to almost, um, you know, shoulder to shoulder with some of the bigger ones like golf, uh, basketball and even, um, baseball. Um, but it's not that everyday pastime really yet. And the same thing with drone racing is like, we've only been drone racing for a few years. Like it took gaming 30 years, (laughs) like it took gaming, you know, like, Way longer, three times as long before it started to become any kind of that's real. It, uh, is, it is sport. so new, isn't it? All this. I really. mean, look, if you look at any sport going back into the first couple years of it, it's an absolute fucking mess. <laughs> like, it, it's absolutely true. Like, there's skeletons in every sports closet. Like, it is absolutely true. And that's kind of, I kind of want to say that in the sense that every drone league I've been in has had their own skeletons and issues. And a lot of the drone leagues I've heard of have had their own issues as well, um, and that's even going back from Dubai Drone Nationals, Drone Worlds, um, uh, even some of the ESL events I've been a part of have had their own issues. Um, and uh, X class, I mean, especially X class because it's new and it's pushing a new kind of boundary and a new whole new. Not just a boundary, but boundaries. The fact that we're doing this in a stadium full of people with giant drones, meanwhile others aren't even able to do it with mini quads, that's a big deal. Like that's something that a lot of people haven't really soaked in yet. Um, So, you know, for the shortcomings I see within the rules, and in some ways, competitors following them, and in a lot of ways, not the competitors' fault, but the organization for not enforcing them. I want to make that very clear. My issue is not with any of the competitors. Like I love Colby dearly. I love ostrich air. I love all those guys a lot. My issue is with the fact that essentially they were given passes by the organization. And because of that, now we have the discrepancy on the canopies. People like, do I need one? Do I not need one? And it's, it's caused issues like that. So, That's, that's, that's one of my issues with the X-class organizations. It's it's with the fact that me personally, and I sadly consider myself an athlete when I compete and an artist when I'm flying freestyle, when I'm an athlete, I give a shit about the rules. (laughs) I want to follow the rules to a T and compete to the best of my abilities. And I really expect everyone else to do the same. That's what creates a level playing field. And that's what, in my opinion, makes it fun. Um, when that doesn't happen, it kills the joy for me as a competitor. And it's something that I really love. Like, it's not that so much I love winning, but I love competing and even failing, but still showing that I've got something. But still, I love a fair competition. And that's something I've only really found a, a love and a need of when I got into drone racing. Before drone racing, I played video games and that was the most amount of competition i had in my life and since getting into that i've or getting into drones i've craved a proper competition and potentially be able to have a career as a pilot both as a competitor and as an artist and i've just been let down a lot as a competitor um and I know I'm not alone. Like you, you've seen a large turnover of drone racing pilots within just the last year. Um, and it's something that in the
4: X-Class, in the X-class or, or in general, is in
2: general, it? in general, in X-Class, we've seen a growth. I don't think, especially the last few months, X-Class has just really gotten popular. <laughs> especially since it sounds like DR1 is going to be doing something with giant drones. And I say that because I'm not a part of it. Wish I was. And have only seen murmurs about them doing something right now. And I'm like, where the heck am I? (laughs) So it's, it's like, but, but that being said, it still adds fuel to the fire of X-Class going forward because it legitimizes giant drone racing. And this goes back in the history. I had a meeting with DR1 over two years ago about giant drone racing. I had a meeting with the CEO, Brad Foxhaven about the possibility of implementing a meter-sized drone with the ability to go 100-plus miles an hour um, to really be exciting. And I told him I could do that, and I was going to you know, do that. And then they uninvited me and they pulled that from the table. Well, I kind of carried on with that vision. (laughs) I'm like, this is obviously what, you know, people want. They want to see bigger, cooler, more fast drones. The format is broken and it needs to change. At least it needs to change if we want it to be a spectator sport. And we want it to have sponsors with interest and actually shelling out money for pilots and people to compete. Um and, I'm, and I say that more as a I mean, as something proper cuz right now like DR1 it's a marketing play like they have a lot of backing by PepsiCo and their associated brands, but they're owned by that. So they're it's basically PepsiCo's idea of taking advantage of the drone racing hype and selling ads. Um, DRL is trying to go about it more like a actual league, but in a lot of ways, they turned it into a TV show and now they're trying to actually legitimize their league, mm. which I see is kind of cool. Um, even though I've, I've probably been their biggest critic, <laughs> which for for fair reasons, for fair reasons, even though people criticize me for it. I mean, some of it is justly due. It was a very inflammatory image. Um, but the thing is the leagues are still like that. Like if you look at the issues I brought up months ago, there's still problems today in the drone industry. And if, I've seen attempts to fix a lot of the issues that I brought up, but it Hasn't really happened yet, so I still hold out hope that uh, my initial, you know, what I talked about months ago, will come back to help the industry out and more you've, female you've gone pilots. Pretty far
0: people. in the in the US with the X class, and that you've got the of racing going, um, and you know it's it's building up as a as a thing. You've obviously got your teasing issues with the, the rules and exactly you know getting the details right, but it's it's well on the way. The way. Um, in the UK, we've got got Tony in a field dicking around.
2: Um <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. So, so not to disparage that, but that's the thing. X class started its own chapter program, and the UK chapter with Tony was the first one. Yep. And the idea with that was to encourage more people to race because it only takes two people to race. And it's a lot of fun just racing with two people with these giant machines. And we've got a lot of people
0: in the chat um, asking about details about, you know, powertrains and all that sort of thing. And I'm pretty sure there's a good list somewhere that you probably know the details of more than I do.
2: Yeah, so xclass.racing has a list of some of the stuff out there. Like it's, they just updated it recently. Um and it's on the like the top of the website. So just go xclass.racing and you'll see rules and regulations and um the whole shebang of stuff and information. There's a
0: whole page on the build list is
2: go ahead. So and if you want to see what I'm flying and know what I'm flying, go to Dysonian.com. I have build lists for everything there um it's um yeah like the california vixen with 666 kv motors the master crew 13 by 12 by 8 props the 80 amp escs and a 6000 MA 75 c battery uh that's currently the fastest recorded drone in x-class and that currently has the track time at um antioch what what as so um, so battery burning. running 6000 mAh 75 C it's too small milliamp um, um what what 6S 5S guess. all the S success <laughs> <6S. laughs> so i call it i call it the deal with the devil on this one so it's 666 KV motors running 6 cell on a 6000 mAh battery right run. and um it hauls ass <laughs> <laughs>
3: Why like, was our 6X, 6S so slow?
2: I mean, we were only running. That. So one of the biggest issues right now is batteries. Like we have a lack mm. of really good high C rating batteries at the size. Like the mini quad market, and this is what happened. Is like the mini quad market happened. The industrial market happened here. The mini quad market took the battery technology up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And up. And the industrial market stayed the same. And my tracking on my camera sucks. <laughs> we can see. Follow your hands. I was trying to track my face, and I was trying to make gestures with my hands, and it confused it. So, um,
1: the hell is that thing? Has it got a name? Is it the little thing that you had on the front of your canopy with the little sticky-up arms?
2: <laughs> what happened to that
1: man? That was amazing.
2: That was a Photoshop.
1: <laughs> was, it? was it? Damn it.
2: Yeah, because when I saw cause those, the little there's antennas that stick up, and in my head I thought it just looked like someone going wee <laughs> So I photoshopped the little hands onto it. Oh, yeah. I might have to actually add those. Um,
1: Damn it! I'm like Tony. I'm like I feel, like, like, I feel like I've just found out the Earth's round. Now I'm really.
3: Just <laughs> you are woke, Jack. Oh no. Well, well.
2: So no, no, the earth is flat. Find out next week on the second episode of Quad Bashers while we test whether or not the earth is round. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
3: You've been flying high speed into things, Zoe. Yeah, watching it slowly back. Yep, it's so fun. <laughs>
1: is your battery still the same questionable shape? <laughs> what <do>
3: you mean, <laughs> well, last time you were on, you had a funny shaped battery.
1: Oh, yeah. No, and we, we had to Yeah, yeah you got battery the, cone. Like the dildo. Is your battery still? Are you still trying to summon Satan with 666 and the giant dildo? No,
2: no, no, no. I, I wrote the contract with the dildo battery, and we're good now. So the 666 kb <laughs> contract, and then I handed Satan the dildo, and he's like, I'm going to use this on you later.
1: <laughs> you ever get a new cat, Can you name it Satan? I, really good I tell you that. what
2: a
4: 6s dildo now that's going to be some power isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, I'd love I'm to Andy see Andy running that, on
4: that on what, man. the way things are going that might be uh, my next
2: having <laughs> you I tell oh. you so, I, I don't know how much cause, okay so I hadn't signed the NDA when I found it out but um, there's a certain motor company that's working on a success dildo
1: <laughs> shut <laughs> up <laughs>
2: Let's just, say, let's just say the sexual you, uh, wellness um, market is way bigger than the FPV market and they're realising their technology could be used for way more than drones.
4: I can just see <laughs> the slogan, "Ripping Balls."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, okay, so, we'll so this out. podcast always goes somewhere, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> I, I was going
3: to bring it back a bit um, so i know i know
0: sorry uh, There was some questions in the chat earlier about uh how big a space do you actually need to fly these things
2: so this is debatable it depends on how good of a pilot you are
0: <laughs> bearing in so, mind that we're talking about all these guys in the chat that are like i want to build one and then try it out
2: so if you're talking about space like a football field you know, football field's a pretty good space for it. Um, that, that's about the general size, regular track and field. Like if you have a track and field by your house, like a high school or something, you can go there during like an off time and actually do timing. So the really cool thing with the track and field is that their tracks are defined by length. And you can use Google Earth and actually plot out your camera footage versus the time it takes you to go around a track and plot out how fast your average speed is uh, on your drone. And currently, that is the most reliable way of telling you how fast a machine is. And it's currently the way the Guinness Book of World Records counts drone speed. So if you're trying to count your speed and get some testing data in, I recommend using that method. What, What method was that, Zoe? Sorry, I missed that. What method do they use for the speed? So it's essentially measuring time over distance or distance over time. The
4: so at so, the so average speed rather than actual top speed. Yes, yeah. because
2: so far, like every measurement uh, method that they've tried for the top speed, like the absolute top speed, like radar and stuff like that has been fairly inconsistent. And the most reliable method of gaining time or recording time is between two points of space. So, essentially, machine starts here, ends there. And that's the time it takes to go between those two points. Um, that's how you get the average speed of the machine.
4: Yeah, I think uh, what can happen with the, the bigger models is maybe it can pick up the, the props, like deflections from the props and stuff. Because I, I do uh, speed testing with, uh, with radar. Um, and um, yeah, it can it can be off by quite a bit sometimes. Oh, yeah, yep.
2: sometimes in time, the prop is as wide as the arm on my machine. Yeah. And it's it almost as thick when you combine the aluminum and stuff and like its actual radar. Um, we don't know what that is in this
3: country. What What is? Aluminum. Oh. Aluminum?
2: Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that you're using carbon fiber still. You, 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 We've well, you you, you, we just changed. Are you using the HDPE? Um, no, Damn aluminium. That's aluminium. A
1: good deal, though.
2: So you're using aluminium. You've coming to the dark side.
3: We have because it's cheaper.
2: Because it's cheaper. <laughs> Basically. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. I see yeah. how it is. How many? Well, um... you
1: and Frank are going to be using a potato.
2: <laughs> no, it's just funny, it's just like Dysonian.com, like Dyson and me, we set the trend for aluminum frames. We're like, people, carbon fiber stupid, expensive, break easy. Yeah. Aluminum cheap. Holds shape. Easy to repair. <laughs> I mean, I've yet to break one of my aluminum frames. And that's kinda of saying something for crashing these things at hundred miles an hour.
3: Our frames are steel carbon, but or we've just swapped to using aluminium arms because they're, That's like, they're, they're two quid a go instead yeah. of whatever they were 10 quid ago or something. So you can just replace an arm
2: in. Yeah, no, I That's
1: you
3: a can, point. You can replace it in like two
2: minutes. <laughs> and it's also it allows you to pick the breaking point. You know, like if you don't pick the point that breaks on these machines, it's gonna pick it for you. Mm. And with aluminum arms, you have the ability to and, and a lot of crashes, if it doesn't break, bend it back into place and keep flying, which yeah. you can't really do with carbon. Um mm. so it's uh it's definitely like I know Armitin, they're going aluminum. Um and it's funny that it's taking giant racing drones back to basically old school aircraft building techniques, um, which is aluminum construction using aluminum grade uh, aircraft uh, materials. So, yeah, we're going back in time a little bit with these giant rigs.
4: <laughs> what about, about aluminum for, for five inch? Or does that, is, is the power to weight ratio, you know, is it, is it too much for five inch? So I've always wondered that. Will we choose well,
2: carbon fiber? So there's been a few frames out there that have been full uh, car- or aluminum. And in general, the milling on them is not enough to make them light enough to be competitive with the carbon fiber frames. Right. And the, one of the bigger issues with these giant X-Class machines is that the, like, the flat-pack carbon fiber frame works for a mini-quad. But once you get to the larger machines, you start having arms. You can't have a flat-packed arm for an X-Class quad. And if you do, it's going to be massive and really heavy and like just unwieldy. So a lot of people are using adapters on the motors and the um, frame to hold an arm of some kind, whether it be an aluminum tube, a hexagonal shape uh, tube, or whatever have you, hold the arm in place... And what that ends up doing is it creates a lot of extra hardware that's required to uh hold it in place, and that adds expense to manufacturing, It adds time for building, adds complexity, adds failure points. That's a really big thing, especially out on the arms. It adds really big failure points. Um, so going with like the Dysonian design where we've flat packed the end of the tubes and we've created a way to kind of reinforce the strength of the tube so it's not just smushed flat. Um, and uh it even allows you to run the wiring inside the arms, which is kind of nice too, which is it's like we have a really clean wiring setup that's coming out soon. Um, and then on top of that, the aluminum frame, like the one Dysonian's working on and should be out hopefully next week. Um, is $99. Like you pay $99 bucks and $20 shipping, and we send you all the aluminum, the custom made welded hub for it with the one bolt removal. So the arms pop off with one bolt, which makes them really easy to travel with. Um, and you print out your own um, parts. So you can print out without motor pads, you can go bare, you could just print out the little pod. Hell, you can even buy some of the parts separately and just buy what you need. Um, say you wanted to hand build some parts or just use the base frame for another configuration. Um, for example, there's one pilot, um, Critter. He's bought the sole frame and he's um basically made a slam deck mount version of it where the battery's on top. Uh he also he's made a couple different variations. Um, And that's another big thing of note is the Dysonian frames. We're planning on um, supporting that frame architecture, like the base frames going forward for years. So like when we release a new product, it's going to be based off of the existing frame designs. So if you have one of our frames, you'll be able to basically bolt on a new configuration or new arms for new motors and essentially go. So the same frame, and much like, old-school automotive production, will be able to go through several generations of use before we um, discontinue it. Um, And I don't think we will. I think the the aluminum frame is here to stay and uh, the full aluminum build from Dysonian is gonna be a staple of ours. Um, We're working on a new, (laughs) this is kind of babbling, we're working on a new configuration of it. And I don't know how much I want to reveal because It's going to be unlike anything anyone's ever seen before. (laughs) And I'm kind of worried about others getting to the design of it before we get it out. And there's a very large chance that we'll never sell the design that we're working on next. As it's a concept design and it's trying to prove a point, um, we're completely rethinking the idea of what an X-Class drone is and should be and look like so
4: it's that's... gonna be a five inch isn't it <laughs> I'm, kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding let's just but... let's
2: just the x class gives you wings
4: yeah that's what i would that's what i was thinking about like you know when you see like for f1 and you know we could be doing perhaps things with downforce and stuff mm-hmm. like that and and i always thought like you know about uh Braking with the motors and stuff, more, maybe more stuff with that when it comes to corners. I think there's a, a lot to be explored. So that that's what I thought when when you went down those lines, yeah, like wings and stuff and that downforce, maybe adjustable things.
2: We, we, we've got we've got a roadmap ahead to um, push ahead hybrid designs, and Ooh. and it's uh, something that. I'm really passionate about, like, and it's also something that we might be scaling up to 1600 millimeters. So you'll be able to sit in it at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so there's a 1600 millimeters is the size of a car. Like if you put the motors where they should be, they're essentially where the wheels would be on a small car. Um, So at that point in time, you're dealing with a machine that, you could almost say rivals that of traditional automotive racing uh, and uh, creates a spectacle that is something to behold. Um, so I'm hoping that project will materialize sooner than later. There's, there's two different projects within that. There's the 1600 millimeter project, and then there's the um, hybrid project. And the idea behind that is that it's essentially one's a scaled-up version of the other, so we're proving the hybrid concept on the 800-millimeter range. And once that concept is proven, um, we're going to be moving on to um, basically proving technologies within the 1600-millimeter range. And I have some hopes and theories for that. I know I don't. it's so hard to talk about because... <laughs> Some of these bigger projects are a bit slower moving. And realistically, there's not a lot of money in it. And I'm not doing it for any kind of money. So there's really no reason I should be secretive. But there's a couple companies that I've been working with IQ Motion Control and Freedom Motors. And Freedom Motors makes a um, basically the next best thing to an electric motor and a gas motor, which is a, a Wankel rotary engine variation, which essentially has two moving parts. Instead of one moving part that our electric motors have, and it has the ability it's to change important. its rpm within half a second within twenty percent of its range, so it can it can rev up very quickly and rev down very quickly, a lot like our electric motors um, so this dip- engine. <laughs> I know it sounds it sounds funny, I'm but sure. Dr. Winkle is the guy that invented this engine, and there's some interesting history behind it but uh would that very- be,
4: would that be on every single arm? Or would it be one motor yep. that drives belts? No. Also, it would be on every single single arm, because that would be a new thing as well, wouldn't it? Because a lot of the, the gas-powered um, quadcopters, if you will, have been sort of belt-driven up to now from what, what I've seen. So, that's, yeah, that's an interesting idea.
1: Trouble is with the Wankel engine is the the little seals wear out, and also they're not that...
2: Well, this is the biggest thing with the seals. The The seals only wear out when you're not running the engine at efficiency. So there's a big secret to the Wankel engine that a lot of people don't realize is that um, they tend to leak when they're not running. So they'll leak leak oil when they're not in use. But Mm. once it's in use, the machine essentially creates like an equilibrium within itself and the seals are functional. So if you keep it running continuously, it actually stays sealed and it doesn't wear down the seals. <clears throat> um, the biggest issue with the Wankel engine is that a lot of people just kind of forgot about it, and um, it hasn't really been proven against other technologies. Like a lot of the the projects that were incorporating the ver- versions of the engine, especially even going back to DARPA projects. Um, that uh, the cur- current current uh, designer of the engine I'm talking about is um, gosh why I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Dr. Paul Moeller. So Dr. Moeller has a version of this Wankel engine that uh, he's potentially giving me access to for demonstration craft. Uh, and the biggest thing is changing essentially our flight controller systems, which in theory, it's possible to use a high-speed servo system instead of uh, regular signals. So the ESCs will be PWM using signals instead, operating a uh, high-speed servo, changing the rate of the engine. And the biggest issue with that is you can't get the same kind of update rates on those engines as you can um, electric motors. So it's effectively harder to tune, but not impossible. It just it means you have to relax the PIDs and not update it as fast. <laughs> Essentially you're just like changing the way it updates and slowing down the updates to the um motors and what it expects back from it. Uh then there's a secondary option I'm looking at with IQ motion control using electric motors and using the highest tech electric motors out there right now um, to make a giant racing drone. Um, and they're currently, they've got the motors under manufacture for, um, electric, uh, surfboards, but the same motor can be used in other applications as well. Um, that's a five kilowatt motor. So it's potentially a 20 kilowatt machine at 1600 millimeters, which is not unheard of, but it's definitely going to be beefy. Um, So those projects are kind of my, my long-term whales right now. (laughs) Like we have the frame, we have that, that's, that's fine. It's mainly down to the power system. And while we could strap, um, our current motors and props onto a 1600 millimeter frame, it just wouldn't do it justice. So it's kind of, Oh, wait for the right motors and whatnot, and once they get here, it's going to be a mad dash to actually build the machines. Mm. Um, so that's that's my long term projects right now with X class because I, I, eight hundred millimeters is cool, but I still think it needs to be bigger. Wow, well, bigger than that! I've got to do
3: a shout out to Squeechy FPV, Squeechy, Squealchy. I don't know.
2: Hello, Is it S Q U I S H Y? Yeah, that's him.
3: Squeechy. Squishy. Squishy. Hello, mate. Your shout out <laughs> um, How many more X-Class races is there in the calendar in the US? And can me and Martin from Fossil Stuff come over and fly one?
2: Yes and yes. Um, I think there's six more planned this year or five more planned, depending if they reschedule one of the races that got um, uh, cancelled.
3: That was the uh, rain, wasn't it? All tornado or something?
2: Uh, no, actually, it was, I believe, from the fact that we actually lost our flying field. So a local airport shut down flying oh. drones at a spot that we were going to hold it at. Um, Which goes to the fact that a lot of places in the United States have started adding uh, regulations to where you can fly your drones at. And it's becoming harder and harder to fly uh, in the U.S., Do Um, I have to take a test
3: if I come over to fly? Yes.
1: And you have a registered address.
3: What kind of test is it? I hated tests at school. Is it
4: an IQ test?
3: Oh, that's a fact.
4: (laughs) I can't even spell IQ.
2: So the uh, Part 107 test is like 80% of what you'd have to get and take for your written on a private license for scale aircraft <laughs> like oh, you need to know how to read like aeronautical maps really well and uh know exactly what all that shit means and uh it you can cram it into your head in 48 hours and get through the test like a lot of people do but um mine oh, leaks very badly That's why you cram for 48 hours. Um, Like, I actually created a study guide to help me cram for the test. It sounds like
4: none of that would be useful to actually
2: find. It's not. No, not like, literally, maybe 10%, maybe 20% of the test actually relates to drones. Most of it's relating to general aeronautical knowledge. And that's why I say most of it, like... It wouldn't be much of a stretch for me to actually go for my full-scale pilot's license at this point in time. Like, I wouldn't have to study too much more on the written side of things. I would just have to get a lot of stick time in a plane and pass another written test that's a lot like the one I just passed.
4: Mm -hmm. Is that something
2: you're interested in? Just I'm too thing. tall <laughs> I get so claustrophobic on planes and most of the uh, starter planes are really tiny so um, they
4: are claustrophobic, so you
2: wouldn't like, go in, uh, in a Peter Street uh, little uh,
0: ultralight though.
2: an ultralight maybe, like if there's no canopy and if we're like out in the world I think I'd be okay
0: because someone was suggesting <laughs> earlier that you take the motors that he's got on his ultralights and stick them on an the X class <laughs> a lot of work that's
2: that's kind of the direction we're going Uh, i really think that's the direction drone racing is going um i think that's one of the reasons why dysonian in general is kind of why we're moving towards more hybrid designs is that we're playing the long game and we know that designs are going to evolve and once people are shown a better way they'll catch on to it oh jack's got something um are you sure you
1: guys would want to ride peter's plane because like you two you two were like loving aluminium have you seen his landing gear in his last video <laughs> <Doesn't No>. really... <laughs> does it <laughs> <laughs> it's made of aluminium it folded it isn't just I?
4: folded yeah. over It. yeah
1: um uh, sorry, I should have brought this up to, to you earlier. Do you mind erasing the, you know, raggy thing on the board? It's triggering <laughs> Tony.
3: Well, um, I, I'm totally cool with that now. I'm over it. Well, uh, what was that? Is there some, some insider <laughs> joke going on
1: here? Anyway, no. now now we started talking. Hey, Andy RC. Oi, you're Northern. So, so
2: I, I just got to say there there is a little bit of a sore spot for me in the raggy thing now, too. Explain. Oh, I, I, I want to know what's going come on. To the, come to the light side. Nah, Wait nah. No, Just to get it off my chest, so I spent two months helping out on the raggy WBX for Rotoriot. Is this a raggy? <laughs>
3: Boy, Andy, I'll say that's it's titles awesome. needs to be burnt. Jack built this one, if that makes it worse. I was, I
1: was forced to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But like, I worked worked on the variation. Let me grab it.
1: I don't. No, actually, I don't think I did. I think.
2: I think this wound needs to be opened up. (laughs) Not again. This has
3: been so many times. What's wrong
4: with
2: Raggy? Oh, Andy, me and you need to chat. There's there's fun backstory between Raggy and Fossil Stuffs, but let me show. Let me tell you my history with them at least um thomas came to me a while ago and said, like, hey zoe i got this frame i want you to you know have it. and just sent me a bunch of stuff to review and some parts to build it out and i built one out i loved it i loved the way it just went together um and initially compared to the fossil stuffs i liked that more but that, that was kind of my initial thing so i just kind of started flying my raggy more and eventually, the Rotorite guys were like, "Hey, Zoe." We're well, not Rotorite, but it was Ashley Thomas from Raggy. He's like, "Hey, Rotorite's interested in one of my frames, and uh, can I get some help testing it out and working on it?" And so I like spent a lot of time. I had another. I had my own frame in development that I put on hold to help this out because was that a- the episode
4: where they crashed it into hit uh, into Chad's? um the the player
2: yeah uh, yeah, that was that was that was around the time when i initially and um there's actually before that when i got my first raggy frame um this is like stemming back from the initial interaction from drone nationals 2015 like there's long history of interaction between them or between thomas and i so um so anyways i'm working on the frame it's coming out well i like it um And I'm getting no kickbacks at all for it. So I spent two months on not my own frame to receive nothing for it. And I get no real credit at all on anything I helped with. I went through piece by piece actually building the frame and making sure like where holes needed to be cut out for people that those places were properly um, set up. And this is where the real hurt comes in. Like, I'm fine with helping on development and stuff on things just because I love being a test subject. (laughs) Like, I love testing stuff. Like, that's one of my most favorite things in the world is just making something new that hasn't been made before and making it a reality. Like, that is the thing that gets me off more than any other thing.
1: You've got got a fetish for being a guinea pig.
4: (laughs) Yes. I, think, I, think we all have, I think we all have Jack. Otherwise, we would not be on this show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mad scientist.
2: But yeah. the biggest issue, I mean, pending all the issues I had with it, was that in the final production of the frame, they screwed up some of the pieces and some of them were not correct. So, like, one of my fans was shipped out a frame that I helped them put together... Only to find out that they put the holes on the wrong piece, and you couldn't physically put it together. So I had to take my soldering iron and like, like cut out the little structures that it needed oh, for the wow. wires to run through. That's rough. And right? I, I'm thinking to myself, here I am. I basically sold this person a frame. They bought it because they saw it from me. I didn't get paid for it, and here I am dealing with the production issues because they couldn't spend five <laughs> minutes. The check to make sure the piece was, f***ing done right. That's raggy it pisses for you. me the off, and it still pisses me the fuck off because I've been about a week and a half, two weeks without a word on what is going on with production issues. Get
3: all raggy, I.
2: Sorry. Okay, I feel better now.
3: <laughs> you don't get that for some stuff, you know. And uh, were we first? Oh yes, we were first. Yeah. Okay.
2: That's the thing. Is like I love, I love raggy. I love Thomas. Like Thomas has been a good friend to me. But when I am essentially working for you for free, and you're screwing up, and it's making me look bad in front of one of my fans, mm. that becomes that, that's a bit of a problem, and that's that's a problem. Are you, actually, are
3: you are you
4: are you continuing to work with them to sort of try work through it, or is, or is this something that happened a while ago and This happened
2: sure? like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Oh right, okay. So this is this is fairly recent, and it's not. I haven't like. It's not like I called off all working relationship with them or anything. It's just like, I told them what the fuck. <laughs> yeah. I was like this is not cool. This is this is the opposite of cool. Did
1: you like, have all the screws? Because the amount of raggy frames that I've come into contact that didn't have all the
2: I, I, I there. won't comment on that either. Mikey can says he's not hard. Listen, Mikey Dredd
3: says that's what you get for working with cloners.
1: Well <laughs> done, Dredd. Right. Right, we got a we gotta wrap up. Um, oh,
4: that's a shame.
1: I know. Just well. getting just getting juicy. I, I
4: yeah. think the Raggy frames are I mean, I threw that one, Jack, and uh it's like a brick, you know, it will not break. What's Tony yeah. doing? He's flashing something on the screen. It looked like
3: a magazine. Pop and um, yeah, this is the magazine that I'm in, in the UK. And it's also all about um, Frank's MS4. Yeah, it's Marty. not just me in there.
1: Well done, Frank.
3: I got my copy as well. There's lots of stuff in there. Where, where can you get it from? I've see, see it.
2: the media likes the drums <laughs> They want more of it. They do. <laughs> I've
3: Hang subscribed on. to it, so you get it, like,
4: monthly. uh. Uh, but it's in everywhere. This corner shop that's got it. You're famous, Your famous, Tony. Tony. Me. <laughs> everywhere sells aren't you?
1: Right. Oh yeah, Andy R C. You're northern. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, what is the word "fettled"? <laughs> oh
4: my god! I don't know. Is this an Urban Dictionary word? No. I've never heard of it before. Fettled, fettled. it says. It says, trim or clean the rough edges of a metal casting or a piece of pottery. See,
2: they never fettled the frames either then, because there's a (laughs) bunch of rough edges on the milling that I was like, the fuck, they didn't even take the roughness off of it.
4: (laughs) So what's the difference between fettle and chamfer? Is it the material that it's been fettled or chamfered?
0: Fettle's more rough, isn't it? A chamfer, you have a very specific... If they chamfered
2: it, I would have been okay, but it was fettled. (laughs) <laughs> i'm adding that shit to my dictionary because sh- that was chamfer. legitimately fettled
1: chamfer means to put another edge to take an edge off yeah
2: what and, you want and, you and, want and chamfered yeah. edges on your carbon fiber frames so that helps protect the carbon from shipping when you crash and uh in general makes it a little bit lighter
4: is that yeah, a northern term now awesome. jack yeah, just looks like a term, term.
1: yeah well yeah, it is it's it's apparently northern Shall uh, we have
4: a look? Oh, right underneath the actual explanation, there's an urban dictionary explanation. <laughs> I shall I, shall I read that one out? Yeah, on. On.
1: Zoe's said... already said the F word about eight times.
4: Oh, no, no, it says to modify, alter, change up, or touch up something.
2: Wait, did I drop the F bomb tonight?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes. Raggy. You went in some sort of raggy F.
2: God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> raggy F rage.
1: Got, oh, you got to an I hour, though. Really you don't know well. It's really hard well.
2: tonight not to drop the F-bomb, but I guess <laughs> you, like, I, it struck a lot. You said a fuck a lot.
1: Hell of a lot.
0: <laughs> Arthur is fettle.
1: No. It
4: says here to puke from drinking too much. Other drugs may be involved, but it's strictly alcohol-based. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's a fettle it's like throw
1: up or something. There's a funny term where there's Mark full phrase where there's muck there's brass <laughs> which i quite like none of these
4: are northern terms
1: apparently so on a website called joe.co.uk there you so go, you definitely trust them yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, on enough. this note do you want to tie us up then Jack?
1: yep thank you you've been listening to another episode that's very echoey for some reason um is it you, Simon? <laughs> I
2: think it's a little bit of me.
1: Oh, dear. Uh, you, yeah, you've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Uh, we've been joined by Andrew slash Frank. Goodbye. Goodbye. Andy RC. Good night,
2: everyone.
1: My little Tony. Bonjour. Zoe FPV. Hey,
2: everybody. Go check out my channel for quad bashers and watch stuff get blown up in slow motion. <laughs> Shameless right. plug.
1: Do so. it. And I've been bright until I fly. All the links should be in the description below. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys. Hopefully see you next week.
3: Bye. Bye. Thank Bye you, Zach, for coming Bye. on. Bye.